So when you arrived in Hong Kong airport, you did a test. If you were negative, you got a bracelet, a kind of a GPS tracker that you attached, you put on your wrist, you linked it to your mobile phone, you got back to your apartment and you set up an app. You had to walk around the kind of perimeter of your apartment so the app knew exactly what size your apartment was and where it was. So that was kind of how they made sure that you wouldn't leave the jurisdiction of your actual apartment itself. Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Time flies when you're having fun, but if you were sitting through a mind-numbing meeting or a lecture or you're a passenger on a long journey flight, it can drag. And if you were social distancing at home or maybe quarantining in a hotel like today's guest, Katrina Jennings, then time can become meaningless as one day is the same as the next. It might feel like time is standing still, but then all of a sudden, you wonder where the time went. Last week, I was talking to Katrina, and she's the first person I knew of that had to deal with a quarantine, and I was fascinated by it. And that got me thinking, how is it that some people can handle these situations and some can't? My guess is that this will become a more regular part of life, especially as we start to travel again. And I think that there are lessons to be learned from the mindset of an athlete. Katrina, you were my first guest and welcome back to the podcast. How's life in quarantine? Hi, John. Um, Life in quarantine is uh, repetitive, as you said. Um, Can be frustrating at times, uh, but so far so good. Um, I'm currently on day 11. So officially halfway through the 21 day quarantine. So I think it's a it's a great landmark to get to. And hopefully the second half will, will go much faster than the first. Now, you mentioned that it's repetitive. Does that mean that you have your day set out as a routine? Pretty much. I think, um, well, I, I was kind of planning it out before I arrived. And I thought the one of the best ways to maybe, you know, get through it or to make it seem a bit easier would be to stick to some sort of a routine so um i've been pretty much sticking to a routine so far and not 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 every day i must admit there are days when things don't really go as planned but um i typically try get up early and do a run on the treadmill and i rented a treadmill for my time here so i try to do a run on the treadmill before i start work which is kind of pretty similar to what i would do if i wasn't in quarantine so that's i think it's a good start to the day it's a good kind of way to to get my mind into a positive place and uh, kind of sets me up for the day. So then I'm working full time. So I work from nine to six, but actually it has been pretty busy week in work. So I've been working a bit later and I guess in a way it's probably a good time to work late when I've no commute or <laughs> very little other activities to do. So um, I suppose in a way it's been a positive thing because it's kept me busy and occupied as well. Well, that's one thing you won't miss is the commute, but you mentioned there that you had time to prepare for the quarantine. So your quarantine was partly by choice, as you knew it would be a consequence of leaving the country. Did the fact that you had the choice make it easier? And how do you think you would have dealt with it if you had have just arrived in back into Hong Kong and were told you're going into quarantine? So yes, you're right. I did know that I'd have to quarantine before I made the decision to, to go back to Ireland at the end of November. But Actually, when we booked our flights to go home in October, um, at the time, the, restri- the the measures in Hong Kong where you had to do two weeks quarantine at home. So when you arrived in Hong Kong airport, you did a test. If you were negative, you got a bracelet, a kind of a GPS tracker that you attached, you put on your wrist, you linked it to your mobile phone, you got back to your apartment and you set up an app. You had to walk around the kind of perimeter of your apartment so the app knew exactly 
what size your apartment was and where it was. So that was kind of how they made sure that you wouldn't leave the jurisdiction of your actual apartment itself. Um, and that's the that was kind of the basis on which we decided we'd go home and that we'd have to do the home quarantine. But shortly after we booked our flights, um, the government changed its strategy to that you'd have to do a two-week hotel quarantine, which was fine because we were able to just book a hotel. And again, it was two weeks, so um, I picked a hotel that was pretty reasonably priced and had a big room with a kind of a separate kitchenette area. And I figured, you know, that would be fairly manageable. But um, then uh, at the start of December, the government changed its rules again and um, you had to you had to go to a, a specific hotel that was approved by the government. Um, and when I went to book one of those, I ended up finding one that was a lot more expensive and a lot smaller. But again, I think because we'd already gone down the road of knowing we'd have to quarantine, it was just another smaller step or another further measure that was kind of more, it was probably a bit easier to deal with mentally. Um, but then on Christmas Eve, the kind of final change was that the the actual stay or the length of stay of quarantine was increased from two weeks to three weeks. So while I knew before I went home that I would have to quarantine when I came back, it did change quite a lot from quarantining for two weeks at home to quarantining for three weeks in a government-designed hotel. Um, but as I said, because each each kind of change was just incrementally more challenging, I think that was easier. I think if I was faced with the choice of quarantining for three weeks in a in a hotel room that was assigned by the government at the very start, I'm not 100% sure that I would have... Um, made the decision so easily, to be honest. I'd noticed the GPS tracker on your wrist and I was wondering what it was. That's the white thing that looks like a watch. Exactly, that's it, yeah. So um, we still received one of those when we got to the airport in Hong Kong and we still, we do have it linked to our phones. There's an app we had to download on our phones and we walked around the hotel room when we got to the hotel just to make sure that, um, you know, it was it was kind of linked to the size of the hotel room. But in saying that, I mean, I think they're, the, the um, penalties for leaving the hotel room are pretty uh, mind-blowingly awful. So I don't think anyone would really risk leaving the hotel room, given that you're you're being tracked by GPS. <laughs> so you couldn't even go through the door into the corridor? We can open the door, but that's it. We can't actually Whoa. step outside the boundary. Yeah, we have to open the door to get our food, which is delivered three times a day. That's um, a lot more restrictive so, than I expected. Yeah, and... What I'm finding actually the hardest, to be honest, is that there's no fresh air. Like we can't open the window, we can't get any. Like even when you open the door to the corridor, it's just air conditioned air as well. So I really, really miss just fresh air. And um, it's amazing how it's a very small thing that you would probably totally take for granted and never even think of. But if I could just get a blast of fresh air, if I could open a window and stick my head out for five minutes, it would actually seem like such a treat right now. Well, how does using the treadmill then affect the air quality? Because you're probably using up most of the oxygen that's in the room, more than your fair share of oxygen, seeing as you're not there alone. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Um, well, Martin's using it as well, so we have uh, we take turns, although I do stay on it for a bit longer than he does, I must admit. Um, I think the hardest part about using the treadmill is that um, we have to turn the air condition right down and turn up the fan so that it keeps it a little bit cooler. And I think for the person that isn't working out, it does get quite cold. But to be fair, I think we realise that the other one, we're doing it for each other. So, you know, both of us are pretty accepting of it. And I'm happy to be cold for a few hours and put on a, an extra jumper if Martin gets to do his workout and vice versa. Now, here's a tough question. You've 
posted a few photographs running on the treadmill and you're just smiling and look very happy. Are you smiling when you get off the treadmill? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Okay. Now, to be honest, I, I'm not finding it as bad as I thought. I had one day, I had one day last weekend on Sunday where it was tough, I must admit. I just really wanted to go outside because the weather was fabulous and all our friends were sending texts about they were hiking at the weekend. And, um, you know, if we weren't in quarantine, we would be there with them hiking and just out and about and, you know, kind of enjoying the good weather. But um, so I found that tough. But aside from that, I think overall it's been it's actually been pretty fine. I think sticking to the routine and the fact that I have company as well with Martin here, it makes it a lot easier because even if I am having a moment where I'm feeling sorry for myself, like he typically does something silly to just make me laugh and cheer me up. So it is actually helping. I think both of us are are approaching it with a pretty good mindset that it's a short period of time and, you know, if if we stay positive, it'll just be easier to get through. And just as you mentioned that about somebody posting photographs of them being out hiking, but people don't really realise that the negative effect that that could be having on on somebody else, like somebody who's not able to get out or go somewhere or do something. And then when we have these restrictions here in in Ireland where you can't go outside of 5k, and then there's someone down around Glendalough and putting these photographs up and they think they're making other people happy, but it might not be having the effect on other people's mental health that they think it is. Yeah, it's true. And actually, I think having been home in Ireland over, well, we, we arrived back at the end of December, or sorry, the end of November and left kind of midway through January. And I think having spent that time at home, I got a much better insight as to what it's like, to ha- for what life in Ireland is actually like right now. And the one biggest thing that I would say differentiates Ireland from Hong Kong is that um, while there are very restrictive measures in place, there's still very much a real fear in Ireland that you can get, still get COVID just by walking down the street because it's just being spread so fast and people are picking it up and they don't really know where they got it. Even people that are being exceptionally careful are getting it just just pure by, I guess, on they're not, they're just pure unlucky or whatever it is. But um, in Hong Kong, because of the measures that have been uh, in place since last January, the numbers are actually really, really low. And walking down the street in Hong Kong, while there are restrictions in place, you have a pretty, like you're pretty confident you're not going to get it because it's actually just so low and contained here. Um, and the different mindset, I think that the difference is substantial because you're not walking around with that constant fear or worry that you may still get it even though you're doing everything that the government is telling you to do. And, and I think that is tough. And I'm glad that I actually kind of appreciate that now so that when I'm speaking to my parents or, you know, people at home, that I do understand that they're going through that as well as all the restrictions. Well, where you are, it's being managed well, so you have that bit more freedom, except for, and you understand that what you're doing now is probably part of the reason why you have that normal freedom. Absolutely. And I'm happy to do it on the basis that, you know, we're not you know, this is the right thing to do. And by traveling, we're not kind of increasing the risk of anyone else that's in the country that's, you know, been kind of following all the other restrictions that the government imposed. Now, go back to the treadmill. How far into, into your quarantine did you get the treadmill? So it actually was um, the guy that I rented it from had it here the day before we arrived. So it was here the very first day. Um, and it's been it's been amazing because obviously for me as a runner, running is part of everyday life. And I think if I took away running from my life, it would be even more challenging. 
I do have a um, I do have a bike as well, like that I put on my turbo trainer. But for me, cycling on a turbo is is, is really boring and it's not it doesn't give me as much um, satisfaction as running. So, yeah, the treadmill has been amazing. I must say. Yeah, that's great that you got the treadmill because I think one of the biggest problems is inactivity means that you're not tired and then you find it hard to sleep. So at least you're getting that bit of exercise and you're wearing yourself out a bit. Because what generally That's happens true, with somebody yeah. is, if they're in a confined area, they're trying to go to bed in the evening and they're suppose, not being mentally challenged during the day and not being physically challenged. And then they just don't feel tired enough to go to sleep. And then you end up waking up later, going to bed later, and then everything is kind of thrown to kilter and you kind of lose track of the days. So I think exercise is something that is really, really important. And if you don't have access to a treadmill, there's also a, a lot of kind of online exercise type plans that people can follow now. And the good thing is that if you're following someone online, a lot of these classes are going to set at a specific time. So you have to fit in with a schedule rather than just making it up as you go along. That's a very good point that I really didn't think of, I must admit. But um, yeah, you're right. I think I think being able to work out definitely tires you and kind of as I say, keeps you in your regular routine. So therefore, like when I do go to bed in, in the evening, I'm exhausted and I fall asleep straight away. But I didn't appreciate that that's possibly partly the reason. So that's an interesting point. All right, John. And you have your normal working day. So you have work as normal. What do you do outside of that apart from the training? Are, are you watching anything online? You're watching Netflix or anything like that? Not watching Netflix at the moment. I haven't resorted to that yet. But um, the Australian Open tennis is on at the moment, and it's actually falling really well for us um, because all the, the big games are on in the evenings. Uh, we've seen the two, um, we've seen some of the men's quarterfinals and semifinals, which have been really exciting games. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to the weekend for the women's final tomorrow and the men's final on Sunday. Um, I think that would be a nice way to break up the weekend. We're also actually play, we're playing a bit of bit of cards as well. We've uh, <laughs> resorted to the old-fashioned pack of playing cards, and uh, that's keeping us entertained as well. We have some free time. And if you get bored with cards, you can always play Ice Boy. <laughs> Remember Ice Boy at My Little Eye? Something beginning with B. <laughs> or T. Or T. Treadmill. No, it's not. <laughs> toilet as you mentioned Netflix it's good that you said you haven't needed it yet because from my own experience of being on long treks and that I think it's always good to have emergency rations maybe have a book that you're going to keep in the end of your bag and you don't take it out until you really really need it and would you know with Netflix you can save that until they said things are really really bad so that shows that you yeah. are managing the situation that you're in. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, we started watching The Crown over Christmas. I think we we had been told to start watching it for so long. And eventually we sat down and watched the first three, I think three or four episodes. And I said to Martin, oh, no, we should we have to stop watching this now because we need to keep this for quarantine. And even though we really wanted to watch it over Christmas, we didn't let ourselves watch it. And we haven't watched one episode since we've come here. So now I'm kind of regretting not actually just watching it over Christmas and enjoying it. Because I think there's about 40 episodes. I think mean, there's so many Whoa. of them. Yeah, I don't think I really needed to be so uh, so careful about rationing it. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's... Yeah, there's someone else that might actually watch those in the in the first day or two. You know, just that's what they do. They would sit down and they would just watch 
back to back episodes of a show like they they was a binge watching yeah yeah i mean luckily we haven't had to do that i think um i think i would i, I would feel so guilty anyway if i did that i think it would actually almost depress me just being locked in a room watching tv so so uh, no i'm i'm happy that that hasn't happened yet but as i said never say never we still have another 10 days to go so i, I hope it doesn't happen but uh, yeah well maybe the last day or the last night you can <laughs> yeah. have a, have a blow it but yeah and actually yeah. with watching stuff on- online i think it's important then as well that you need to get the balance right between watching something that's entertaining and then watching something that's educational if you're binge watching something that's just entertainment it's just something that, that you absorb. It doesn't challenge you. You don't have to think about it. So you you just end up, again, not physically tired and you haven't been mentally challenged. But boy, if you're something that's slightly educational, it stimulates the brain and it keeps the mind active. And there's that, like after, after you've been exercising, you get an afterburn. After you've been watching something that makes you think, you have the afterthink where you're still thinking about it. And and that's meaning that when you when you go to bed, you are properly physically and mentally tired. So I think that you need to get a balance, and that's a balance between work and play. So I'm not saying don't watch something that's just purely entertainment, but you do need to get the balance there. That if you're if you're not physically active during the day, you can't just sit down and watch something like like a soap opera back to back because you will go to bed and your head will still be wired. And an example of something that I, I would be watching in a situation like you're in would be one we mentioned last week, The Last Dance. Because it, it is entertaining and it's also educational for, from a sporting point of view and it does get you get you thinking. Yes, well, actually, John, now that you mentioned it, you've reminded me we did watch that one last weekend. Um, we had started watching it just before we... Um, came into quarantine and finished watching it at the weekend so I, I I'm wrong we did actually watch I'm sorry I totally forgot but we were streaming it from I don't know Martin found it somewhere online so and uh, we were watching it there but um but yeah like that was uh, that was a really interesting documentary that um that I find fascinating and um as you said was definitely mentally stimulating it was it was just so interesting to kind of see the the mindset of probably one of the best athletes uh you know and most iconic athletes that yeah it's definitely worth a watch our current generation yeah Yeah, if if, if i was in quarantine i'd i'd look at that again now in the evening time in your hotel is it like a curfew or you you well you don't get people running up and down the corridor to make a noise but it's a fairly quiet at night time oh it's really quiet it's quiet all day long okay Um, there's really apart from somebody on a treadmill (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, that's it. So here's a few, a few questions now, going back to how you prepared for your quarantine. When you went in, did you set yourself any goals for during that time? Now, that goal can be something as simple as laying out your work day or making sure that you finish work by a certain time or getting a certain distance running the treadmill or how you're actually going to see the week through or the two weeks. I'd set myself a goal of running 70 miles a week on the treadmill. Okay. Um, Miles, you mean kilometers? What's what's this miles stuff? No, miles. Miles, okay. (laughs) I'm still working miles. Hmm. Um, And actually, it's a horrible, it's like 112 kilometers, so it's not even a nice round number, so I much prefer to think in miles. I was going to round it up to um, 120 kilometers, which is 75 miles, but but actually, just last week, I was stretched to make the 70, so I said I'd leave it at 70, and uh, this week, I'm actually probably ahead of schedule a bit, but... um, 
Yeah, I think uh, I think if I hit the 70, 70 miles a week, I'd be happy with that. I was also planning to um, do like, I suppose more, I was basing the, the turbo more on time and I was hoping to do an hour on the turbo day, which to be honest, I haven't done, but, um, but it's there and I can do it when I, when I need to. And I think when I have the focus of the mileage, the weekly mileage, that's kind of my main, that's my main target. Um, with work, I suppose I don't really have targets with work because like specifically because they kind of vary depending on the, the week and how busy I am and what's happening just in the industry generally. So I don't really set targets specifically for that. But as I said, it's actually just, it's really nice to have it because it keeps you, it keeps you in that routine and keeps you mentally stimulated throughout the throughout the week anyway. And something I've noticed about you is this this will be another tip. You've been proactive. You prepared your quarantine site to suit you, and that's with getting the treadmill and getting the bike in. And you did as yeah. much as you possibly could. Like that that's probably before you even seen the room, was it? Oh, for sure, yeah. Like when we knew when I knew I was when I booked my flight home last October, I started organising the the um the turbo trainer for the bike and uh, it, t- it took me a bit longer to get the treadmill just because it's much harder to get it here and there's like well people don't really have treadmills in their homes because the apartments are so small the space is kind of a, at a premium um but I actually and actually the reason I got the treadmill was because we had to change the dates of our quarantine so it became available when we were quarantining so I was just really lucky with that one but um I was definitely I knew I would definitely need something that I could exercise on, regardless of what it was. And then you need to control what you can control. As you said, you're not getting the fresh air that you need, but you're kind of adapting your training routine and making adaptions to the actual way the air is circulated in the apartment. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've moved the, the, the first few days, we had the treadmill kind of right beside the wardrobe and um, I mean, it was good from a safe, a space-saving perspective, but it was actually quite warm because it was away from the where the kind of vent for the air conditioning is. So we moved it out from there, and it's kind of directly under that now, and it's actually much easier to run on because you're, the, the temperature is much better controlled and you're not kind of getting as hot so fast. And how's the food? Are you getting much of a say in what you're eating? The food is kind of hit and miss like some days are nice and some days are pretty pretty bad but we do have a choice um the the hotel actually to be fair to the hotel they're excellent and they they're very well set up for quarantine um i suppose when they in order to get the approval of the government they probably did have to present a, a pretty um you know pretty good case and um that where we were presented with a the menu where we can choose from three meals each for each meal as such. So for breakfast, we have the choice of um, go east, go west, or go green. So the east would generally be something local, some type of local cuisine for Hong Kong, China. Um, west is usually some sort of Western option. And then the go green is the is the kind of healthy option. Um, now, sometimes the healthy option isn't the healthiest, but um, I guess, you know, you kind of do your best, but you still have to, you still have to kind of make do with with that when you've you know that's really the best option on on the day and um, we do have the option of also um, ordering in from uh, local restaurants through the delivery or the food 
service apps. So at least we have that as a backup if we need to fall back on it. And we have needed to a couple of evenings when the food hasn't been great at all. But but again, when you're ordering on on those apps, I mean, it's never going to be as healthy as what, what you'd make for yourself at home. Um, but look, I mean, it's 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 fine. It's not terrible. And I suppose it is for a limited period of time. So um, we can make up for it when we get out and return to our healthier diet. Yeah, you seem to be using the time you have in there to help yourself get that bit better. And I suppose one thing about ordering in food or maybe getting from the hotel is it's helping to manage your portion sizes as well. Like you're not able to go to the press and take out a packet of biscuits. Not oh, I'm not saying that you would yeah. do that, but we're just, you know, talking, <laughs> yeah, talking would, yeah. in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that is true. Um, but I think what's happening is if, if we don't get enough food, we do order from the food app. So like both myself and Martin would have a big appetite. And to be fair, we're also both exercising for like I'm doing at least an hour, an hour and a half of exercise every day. So um, you do need a certain amount of calories and um you know, like in the evenings, say one evening we got um, we got this kind of chicken thing with sweet corn and tomato, but the chicken was well, like it wasn't great. I would I couldn't really eat it, so I had like the three pieces of sweet corn and the or sorry not sweet corn corn on the cob and um, the tomatoes. But like I mean that's not really enough food for me in the evenings, where I typically go home from work and have you know a big plate of pasta or something. So. We have had to order in on those occasions where we just aren't getting enough food. But like, I wouldn't say I say, yeah, you're right in a way. Like, we don't have the options to snack um, during the day through, you know, in between meals, uh, which is which is probably a good thing. Yeah, now, there's a saying that we'd be familiar with: the loneliness of the long distance runner. But do you think that could be the solitude of the long distance runner, and your training has helped you to deal with this situation? Um, possibly, but then I look at Martin, who's not a long distance runner, and I think he's actually coping with it better than I am. Well, see, maybe <laughs> so... maybe Martin is mirroring as well what's going on. Like, if you're panicking, he could be panicking. Like, like these things happen as well. Yeah. Um. No, he's been much. He's been so steady. Like he's just really taken it in his stride, and um, he hasn't at any time where he's. You know, he doesn't even get frustrated by it. He's just like very accepting and very um, kind of positive towards it. And with every day that passes, you know, he he just looks at it as a step closer to the finish. Where whereas I'm getting a bit more frustrated in that I do want to get outside. I look outside the window and I just want to be out there. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm dealing with it as well. And, and you know, I I do think that um, you know, I'm it's probably. I'm coping pretty well. I'm not like it's only been on a few occasions where I felt it's been, you know, pretty, pretty tough. But um, but yeah, I would say, I'd say given my setup, I'd say most other people would probably deal with it equally as well. I think if you have the right setup, I think it's easier to deal with it, as opposed to um, the kind of long distance running mentality. Yeah, well, I I think when it's your only choice, when when that's the only choice you have. It's it's easier to deal with something when you're kind of thrown into the situation, when you've no back exactly. out. Yeah. Now, just you've to no recap, out, yeah, yeah, to recap, there we've said that you have planned your days in quarantine. You've managed your time. You've managed your living space. You've managed to stay healthy, and nowadays it's easier to stay connected now than it ever has been. 
So so that's a big help, isn't it? Like being able to stay connected. Yeah, just um, actually just a few hours ago, my um, it's my godson's birthday today in Dublin. So I was able to, um, we were, myself and Martin were able to Skype him and uh, and have a video call, which was really nice because you can still like, even though you're miles away and you're stuck in a hotel room, when you, you know, when you speak to a six-year-old about his birthday, it's, um, you know, it's just so, so normal and exciting and it's great to see him. So I think... Um, as you say, being connected to people and and being in touch definitely makes it easier. Yeah, that's so. Te- technology can have its you know bad points, but it also have really really good points. And and with the you know being able to contact your godson like that, it's the same as if you as if you were at home in your own apartment. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, because of the five K restrictions in Dublin at the moment, it was identical to you know if I had have been in Dublin myself because. Uh, they live more than 5k away from where I do. Now, let, let's just move on a little bit, or sorry, step back a little bit to why you're actually in quarantine and life as a pregnant female athlete. You mentioned the Australian Open there and that just got me thinking. Serena Williams found out that she was expecting her first child a few days before the Australian Open and she mentioned in an interview that she was nervous about competing. Now, she's not the only athlete that has competed while pregnant, but she's one that most people will know. And the fact that you mentioned the Australian Open got me thinking about it. You were in a similar situation there. Was you had planned to take part in an event over in the States with the Hoka One One, if I'm pronouncing that right. And you had signed up for that. And, you know, take it from there. What happened? Yeah, so I, I signed up for that in October of... Um of last year and then in December find out that uh, that I was pregnant and because the event was taking place at the end of January um, I at which point I was going to be 12 weeks pregnant um, it was a very big decision for me whether or not to do it um, you know I obviously had done a bit of research myself but um, speaking to well speaking to you know close friends and family members that I had uh, that I had told that I was um, pregnant like they thought it was absolutely crazy that I would even contemplate, you know, continuing to to go and run. So um, I spoke to my doctor as well. I spoke to my doctor a couple of times just to get a kind of a professional medical opinion on it. And, um, you know, in, at the end of the day, we weighed up the kind of um, risks. And um, I think we, we, myself, my husband, Martin, agreed that, you know, they were pretty manageable. So, um, we would uh, and controllable as well so um, I decided to go ahead and run the race but it was the strangest it was it was a really kind of um, I suppose it was a very strange mindset to have going into a race like that and it was so different to anything I'd ever uh, you know done before because you know before a race you have everyone has their own strategy of dealing with nerves or um you know the pressure of expectation or whatever it is but um I had none of that this time because I all I was really concerned about was making sure that I was making the right decision and that I wasn't putting the um the baby in, in any sort of jeopardy um or that I wasn't risking the health of the baby in any way because clearly you know nothing would be as important no race would ever be as important as that um so yeah like I guess it was pretty challenging psychologically I suppose um you know to get myself in the right mindset to to really race properly 
Um, but in saying that, you know, I kind of, I suppose I'm, I can really see this better in hindsight because at the time I was, I was trying my best not to focus on it and maybe think about the race more or just the strategy, the, the changed strategy that I had in mind that I was hoping to, you know, to run on the day and uh, which which basically was just to reduce my pace drink loads of fluids and just be really mindful of the fact that I wasn't overheating because they were kind of the main key points that the doctor had said to me that I, I needed to focus on and make sure that I was managing and actually things were going really well until um just before 60k when I started feeling kind of cramps in my stomach which I would never usually like I don't really get stomach cramps when I'm running or even when I'm racing or anything so it was a t- t- completely new feeling for me and at the time I just thought that it was probably relating to the pregnancy and and stepped off at 60k which was tough because you know it's the first race that I've DNF'd and uh, it's never a nice place to be um you kind of even though I know I did it for the right reason I still just felt like it was just a horrible experience I felt like a bit of a failure for a few days or weeks afterwards but um uh, but yeah, it was very, very different to something that, um, you know, you would experience without being pregnant and rightly so, I suppose, as well, because it's it's such a different um, it's such a different experience. But actually, I suppose I did learn a few things from it. And um, I guess in hindsight, I now know that the concern of friends and family was really just concern, but it wasn't on any scientific basis. It was just back to the old adage of you know when you're pregnant you need to look after yourself and take it easy but really and truly when you know you're highly trained and your body is so well used to that sort of um mileage and intensity of running I I really don't think that there's any real substantial risk um associated with doing it Uh, and I kind of do I suppose having done it has given me the confidence that I would I could potentially do it again on another pregnancy but um you know at the time clearly you never want to be taking risks that are that have such a fundamental downside of they don't pay off so I think um you know I think it was a it was a very strange experience but um but probably something one that I've that I've learned a lot from and I will take from for the future. Yeah and I think you're right and what you said there I'm, I'm sure will inspire and put some other people's mind at ease because we tend to listen to people who aren't involved or connected in any way with sport and it's just that kind of an an inbuilt fear and it's a fear of the unknown and there are many many cases of athletes competing and training and competing while pregnant and most recently well recently enough there's the olympic marathon qualifier alpafine tuliamuk I'm not sure if that's exactly her name, but she's looking at representing the USA in Tokyo 2020. And that's six months after her due date. So I think she got pregnant just after she qualified. But you can be sure that that she is still training and she's training to win the Olympic marathon. And I've also read some medical journals and there's one in particular that I can send on to you. It's from the British Medical Journal Open Sport and and Exercise Science. And the article is on elite athletes get pregnant, have healthy babies and return to sport early postpartum. Now, when that doesn't say that they have ceased training or being active and an elite active isn't just going for a run around the park. So I think 
part of your fear yeah. is probably that you didn't know of anyone who had maybe done what you're doing and there's exactly. even less research yeah. with with the ultra distances but when you're when you're running the 100k you weren't running that like you're running a marathon your pace was way back that was probably slower than your training pace for if you were going to be competing in a marathon oh oh yes well i mean the pace that i actually ran at was slower than my training pace and um you know i felt really comfortable in fact my average heart rate for the, for, for the 60k of it was really low and i mean i was an un- absolutely under no stress whatsoever um people were texting me the next day wondering how my recovery was how my how my legs were <laughs> and i was almost embarrassed to say that i was absolutely perfect like i just felt like i'd gone for a little run the day before and uh, really didn't feel like i had just done a race i know i dropped out of it but um you know my i i had absolutely no kind of pre or post race tiredness or sore muscles or anything like that so you know I suppose again it's easy to say in hindsight that I know I was running so within myself that um that I wasn't doing any harm but I I fully agree with you John it was the it was the fact that I hadn't seen or known of anyone else that had done what I was trying to do and while I was pretty certain that what I was doing wasn't in any way you know potentially damaging or serious I didn't have you know that 100% assurance and that was the niggling concern at the back of my mind um both in the lead up to it and throughout the race itself um which I suppose would have given me the additional kind of sense of um of assurance had I had I known or heard of someone that had done it before but that's the reason why now I I do have that kind of additional confidence that if I was if I was to like reverse the clock and do it again I think I think I would have kind of recognised the cramps in my stomach as just cramps in my stomach and con- well you know continued or certainly I would like to think that you know I would have had the confidence that I could go on and um, but as I said like you never want to take a risk with such serious consequences that you could damage. Um, damage your baby and that's exactly what went through my mind when I felt the cramps I thought well this could be nothing but it could be potentially dangerous and I did promise myself faithfully before I stepped onto the line that if I felt anything or if I was in any way concerned I would just step off because I wasn't going to take the risk and um, yeah I suppose I had to follow through and that promise to myself. I found it very interesting now and it's actually making me you know want to research a bit more and um, what I'm going to do is the link to that medical journal i'm going to put that into the show notes and i'll send you a copy of that you might find it interesting yeah, really like to read that yeah and of a question now about the shoes you're wearing with the carbon plate shoes carbon fiber shoes do you find much of a difference between running in those and running in a regular pair like with the impact on the ground i've never used the carbon plate shoes so i'm curious to know that so john the best way i can describe it is um i I was asking Hoka only only to send me through her um, so that I could try them out at home in December before I travelled to the States. And the day I got the the shoes in the post, I had already I it, like I had it was my recovery day because I'd done you know a kind of a more of a speed type type session the previous day. Um, but I was excited to try them and I said I'll just wear them for the slow run anyway. And um, I put them on and started running and. I couldn't run slowly in them. I just wanted to run fast. 
And I don't know whether it was maybe just the excitement of having new shoes, but then again, I've tried new shoes plenty of times throughout my life and I hadn't had that sensation. But I think the I think the Carbon X2s encourage you to run on your toes, which is, you know, you're running your toes when you're when you're running fast. So I think it could be the fact that it's kind of propelling you forward onto your toes that's making you want to go, you know, it's improving your stride. Um, and it's you're running more as if you're running fast, so therefore you actually do start running fast. Um, they're extremely light, and um, obviously that makes a, a massive difference when it comes to, um, to to the to the racing shoes that you pick. But um, I have to say I really do enjoy them. I think they're a really nice, very comfortable, um, light racing shoe. Now, just as you mentioned, running on your toes. I had someone recently asking me about foot position when it lands the ground or for foot strike and if you're running on your toes i think that that's a consequence of running fast because you're you're leaning into the run if you're somebody who's running slower you're going to be more upright so it's natural that you will land closer to the heel or, or, or midfoot and you roll forward so i would think that if, if somebody is running maybe a four-hour marathon and they tried something like a carbon fiber shoe that maybe the shoe would force them into an unnatural position. I think myself that something like a carbon plate shoe would be best suited to somebody who is running faster or maybe doing faster sessions. I don't think they'd be for everyone. Now, I might be wrong, but that would just be my thinking on that. Yeah, that that could be true. Um, I, I'm not, I, I, to be honest, I, I'm not 100% sure. You'd be a much better uh, person to comment on that than I am. But I do know that a few um, a few friends at home have bought them since since I suppose I was running in them, and I do love them. And they were enjoying running in them. Um, they're not uh, one girl uh, like she's not. She'd maybe run a I don't know twenty five minute five k. Like she's not a fast runner, and she loved running in them. Um, but I didn't ask her to explain like what exactly her experience was as in like why she enjoyed them but um yeah she really liked it as a runner okay i'm i might try them out at some stage my favorite tune was the clifton seven have you tried them i haven't tried no i haven't tried the clifton seven i was um i've tried mac twos but i think they've already advanced to mac four so hopefully I'll um, get a pair of those when i come out but i was i actually i do i find the mac version is uh it's quite similar in that it also, well, for me anyway, just encouraged me to run like more so on my four, forefoot. Now, I do enjoy running on my forefoot more and sometimes even I run, even if I'm not running that fast, I'll forefoot strike. So maybe it's just the type of, I suppose, could potentially be the type of runner that I am as well that just assists with me um, in my stride. But I'm not 100% sure. I wonder... If when you get further into your pregnancy that you might be forced into a more upright position whereby you, you will have to move slower. No, I'm saying have to move slower, but that might not be the case. And then you might benefit from a shoe that has a bit more cushioning. Now again, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to visualise this in my head as I'm, as I'm talking to you. And I, I know your running stride because I've been at a few races and seen you run the Dublin Marathon. And I know what your stride is like, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking now that maybe towards, because it's probably going to be hard for you to stop running, so you're going to be more upright, I would think. Yeah, well, that's true, actually. So that'll be, it'll be um, an interesting one. I'll keep you, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, please do, please do. And actually, with the treadmill again, 
you mentioned running on the treadmill and also doing some work on the turbo trainer and you find that boring. In my opinion, I think that you are right to do the turbo trainer as well. Because if you're doing 100% of your training on the treadmill, you will be more likable, sorry, more likely to get a repetitive strain injury. Now, it might not happen to you because your legs are so conditioned. But just doing the same motion over and over again, whereby if you go onto the the bike, it's it's changing uh, maybe the angle of of your knee joint and your hip joint. So there is a bit of a, a different movement. And plus, you might not be using your quads in the same way uh, unless you're hammering down the pedals. So you're getting to, I suppose, keep them keep your, your leg muscles mobile and improving the blood flow to the muscle to keep it employable. But if you're just running on the treadmill, you could end up with having some kind of leg issues. Actually, with the treadmill, you, you don't really use your hamstring too much on the treadmill because the belt is pulling your leg back, so you're not having to do the pull. So it's probably That's good that true. you were getting yeah. the uh, getting the cross train. The, the bike, yeah, you're right. And actually... Um... I know that you run slightly different on a treadmill than you would on the on the yeah, road. You, I, I, um, yeah, yeah, I just started. So, yeah, and I wouldn't spend this much time on a treadmill usually. So that's actually yeah, that's a really interesting point. That if you're say if you overdo the treadmill without some sort of cross training, it's probably not ideal. But I think it's it's good that you have got the treadmill as well because if you're not used to training on a treadmill as well, and if you find it tough on the treadmill, it's it's good for your mental strength as well because you know it is a lot harder to run on the treadmill than it is to be running around a city park. Oh, for sure. I mean, watching that clock is just painful versus like um, it's much easier to kind of distract yourself when you're passing trees or boats or people or <laughs> anything. <laughs> but uh, it's um, it is good. Uh, I sometimes think back to when I was injured before I ran my very first Dublin marathon. Um, I was injured for about four months before it. And um, I was so determined to to run it because it was the first it was my first marathon actually, but also the first marathon I was going to do as part of the marathon mission squad. And it was in September, it was in October, 2011, when there was a huge gang of girls going for um, the standard for uh, the London marathon. And um, I was absolutely determined that I was going to run it regardless. So I um, I followed to, to a T my training program for running on the treadmill. And that included three hour, or not the treadmill, the cross trainer which included three hour long runs in inverted commas on a Sunday. So I used to do three hours at, at a go on the, on the cross trainer, which I can tell you was absolutely mind blowingly boring. It was so boring. It was incredible. I used to like try and break it up by only allowing myself to drink out of my water bottle at certain times throughout it, or, you know, like really silly things like that. Um, so to me, running on a treadmill for an hour or an hour and a half now is like easy in comparison. I know exactly what you mean. I used to do a lot of training on the treadmill, especially when I was training for some of my bigger races. I found the treadmill was great for dialing in your pacing because if you're out on the road, the terrain dictates the pace you're going at at times. And if you lose concentration, your pace will change. But with the treadmill, you just dial it in and it's great for interval sessions and that that you, you can't just slow, you have to make an effort to actually change the pace. It doesn't just happen. I found it very, very handy. Yeah, that's true. You mentioned your heart rate during the uh, Project Carbon X event. Do you always watch your heart rate? I would 
so I watch my heart rate when I'm training through every session aside from my interval session on a Tuesday or Wednesday if I'm doing like if I'm doing intervals at a hard pace I'll just do the hard intervals and I won't be too concerned about what my heart rate is at but aside from that I look at my heart rate for almost every other session um, and I never look at my heart rate in a race but I did look at my aside from sorry the first time I ever raced by looking at my heart rate was when I ran comrades in 2019 and the only reason that I was looking at it in that race was because I didn't want to kind of, it was the first time I'd ever run the distance and I didn't want to kind of run too fast too early because I knew I needed to run at a pace or a heart rate that I could sustain for a much longer period and um, so that was the first time and then um, because that had gone well for me comrades I decided for the for the carbon for the project carbon 2x I would um, I would also use my heart rate because again it was going to be a method of me keeping making sure that I was running well within myself um, for a sustained period of time and before my next question you finished third in the comrades as well, so something must have worked. When you said you were monitoring your heart rate during the comrades, if it went above the beat that you were, that was your kind of top end, what did you do? Did you slow down or did you use some other methods to control the heart rate? Uh, so in comrades, I guess I was looking at it more at the start and um, it was always within, anytime I looked at it, it was always within kind of the, the range that I wanted it to be. Then when it started creeping up, I just was like, well, I see, I still feel grand, so I'll just continue. And then I did actually, um, I wasn't terribly disciplined, I must say, as the race went on, I kind of just went, you know what, I'm running now, I'm just going to run it. Um, uh, and, and it was probably only from maybe after I had run, like, say, the marathon distance that it started going up higher than what I had kind of planned for it to be but it did get, start getting a lot hotter at that time of the day as well um, so for comrades I kind of um, I suppose I, I was it was more a tool that I was using for the first few hours to keep me just relaxed and keep me uh, keep me at a relatively you know a slow pace or at a pace that I could maintain um, maybe in hindsight actually if I had have looked at it for longer in the race um you know, I, I may have actually done better, but um, but at the, at the same time, like, you know, I suppose when I was carried away in the moment of racing and um, I suppose it was after the marathon distance that I started really picking off all the other girls and, you know, making my way up through the field as well. And at that, when I was running then, I kind of felt like I was more just racing than, than running a time trial looking at my heart rate. So, um. So I guess I didn't really stick to it throughout the whole race. Um, whereas in the Project Carbon 2X, I had a real purpose and a real um, kind of motivator to make sure that I was looking at my heart rate and my heart rate was being was being kept low. So we kind of differentiate between the two for those reasons. Yeah, and I think your heart rate can be a very useful tool not to just use it on the day. You can't just use it on the day. You have to have been using training and observing it along the way. So then on the day, you have a better idea of what's actually happening. And for me, at the start of a race, I would expect my heart rate to be elevated because there's that kind of fight or flight feeling. And then when you get going, your heart rate is that bit more elevated. So I would tend to focus on pace at the start of a race because I find that it's too easy to go too fast. And if you're doing a long race like the Comrades, 
if you go too fast at the start, you're depleting some of your limited carbohydrate stores, whereby you're, for a neutral ratio, you're trying to be more, I suppose, fat dependent while still burning a bit of carbohydrate. And then when you kind of get into the flow of it after the first couple of kilometers or miles in your case, your heart rate should start to uh, stabilize. And then when fatigue starts to set in, your heart rate will start to elevate. And that can also be caused by dehydration because the blood is getting that bit thicker. So your heart is having to beat harder to send the same volume of blood and send the fuel around the body. So for me, if I notice my heart rate starting to creep up, I would be asking myself some other questions like, as you mentioned, uh, it's very hot. So if it was a really hot day, then I'd know, okay, well, maybe I'm getting a bit dehydrated. So I would start to take in a small bit of fuel. If it was towards the end of the race and my heart rate was getting elevated, and I thought dehydration was an issue. I, w- I wouldn't worry about it too much because we have what's also called permissible dehydration. Whereby as you lose some of your carbohydrate stores, you don't have the same need for the same amount of fluid because I think it's two grams of water is required for every gram of carbohydrate that's stored in the muscles. So we tend to lose a bit of weight towards the end. But there's little things I would do, uh, say, if I was going up a hill, I'd look at the heart rate, like the rev count in the car, or forget about pace, and the heart rate would come down to what it was on the flat. So I'm not, so my, my pace would fall way back, and I wouldn't be over-stressing the engine. So I think heart rate is a really, really useful tool. Now, you mentioned using training. Do you use it before training to figure out if you are ready for a hard training session? Would that affect you? Uh, I do, but I I kind of do it in phases. I'm not um, I'm not religious about m- monitoring my daily heart rate, but I do. If I know I'm going into a hard training block, I will do it because um, I'll want to make sure that I'm fully recovered and ready for the session. Um, and uh, I would particularly I would use that as a tool, particularly if I was training for a marathon and I was kind of in my 12 or 16 week training program, and I have in the past. Um, dialed back a you know a planned day's workout or even a race where i've noticed that my my uh morning heart rate is just very elevated and you know i'm just feeling generally tired now we've been on the call for almost an hour and i'm conscious of it being your working day as well and you've well actually you finished your treadmill run today haven't you done it yeah well I actually have only done I only got seven miles in so far so I was going to jump on it again maybe this evening but um but yeah I've done I've done something anyway I've done enough to to take it off for for the day but unless I get another couple of miles and that would only be a bonus so it's 11 o'clock here in Dublin what time is it where you are it's 7 p.m here now okay and have you had your dinner yet not yet, no. Okay, well, it's usually delivered around six o'clock, so it'll probably be out there when I, when I get when I'm ready. Okay, well, look, I, <laughs> I open the door. <laughs> I, I better let you go. I, I, I probably kept you on longer than you were expecting, and I was expecting. So you know, don't go out to me. I find that really interesting, though. It's been a really interesting discussion, and I've learned. Um, I've learned a few bits and pieces. Yeah, well, that I, I really and enjoyed it as well. Read that article. Yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed it as well because it's only when you mentioned the Australian Open, then I, I remembered Serena Williams and I'm after getting a bit sidetracked. So I, I was kind of hoping or planning that this was going to be, you know, a list of strategies that we could use. But I think 
it's been quite interesting the way we actually went went back and forward. Yeah, no, I think it was um, it was good. It flowed really well, um, and actually, yeah, it was the questions that you were asking were brilliant because they were really direct and easy to answer, um, and you you kind of structured it really well. So I thought it was. I know I actually thought it was really good. Our last interview, we were sitting on a hotel corridor at was it half five <laughs> yeah. in the morning. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> and less than an hour before that. We had met a brown bear while out on the training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one's gonna believe that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm still telling people about that story. Now. I think the bear has grown a bit, but it, although it was big, it was a big bear, wasn't it? It's probably running faster as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't believe you. Well, well listen, thanks again. Th- uh, yeah, thanks again, and uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to. Uh, see you, but I suppose when you come back, you can suppose meet up for lunch or something. Oh, definitely! Yeah, I'd love to meet up and uh, and catch up properly. Yeah. Okay. But listen, thanks again, Katrina. Yeah. And, uh, no problem. Say hello to Martin and talk to you soon. I will do. Have a nice weekend. Chat you too. Soon. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Now, if you enjoyed this or any of the previous podcasts, you might consider leaving a review wherever you listen, or pass it on to a friend. Thank you.